Well, it's good to sing songs of praise. It's good to pray with you. It's good to see you this morning as we gather together to hear from the Lord, hear from his word. Uh, as we study God's word together in Psalm 126, it strikes me as very significant that this is the first Sunday, the first Lord's Day, that our si sister Mickey is seeing the face of Jesus and set free. And that's a good thing. Let's continue to pray for the Holcomb family and Mickey's mother and sister are here with us this morning. It's a, it's a real privilege to have you with us. We're praying for you and your family this morning. And we miss our sister, but we rejoice to know that we will see her again. Uh, may that be soon. May the Lord come soon. Let's stand together, and we're going to read God's word together from Psalm 126, which is our passage for study this morning, Psalm 126. A song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. Let's be seated, please. As we think about this psalm, short, sweet, really beautiful, and I find incredibly encouraging psalm that points us to the Lord who has indeed done great things for us. Now, as you think about life in this world, you know that it is a mixture of joy and sorrows, and sometimes the joy and the sorrows follow closely one upon another. This life can be like biting into a delicious apple only to discover a loathsome worm within as what seems to be so joy-giving and life-giving. It just suddenly swallowed up in something that's hard and difficult. We experience that. Many marriages experience that. They begin with hopes and dreams, but over time, over the years, they live and then they seem to die a death by a thousand cuts as bitterness and despair creep in and unconfessed and unforgiven sin kind of stack up in the relationship. You also see it in many new jobs. So you can begin a new job or a new career, and you're excited about this new stage, and you're thinking about what's going to come from it and what's going to happen. But over time, you discover that it ends up being a frustrating and an unfulfilling grind. So we see joy going into sorrow, joy going into sorrow. And you experience the same thing in, this, in our spiritual lives as well as believers. For many of us, when we were first saved, there was so much joy and so much passion in our hearts. Uh, we, we just couldn't stop telling other people about Jesus and talking with, him, uh, with them about the good things that he had done for us. But then something happens. Over the years, trials kind of build up, and Satan continues his relentless temptation. And over time, we, just, we find ourselves beaten down. We find ourselves discouraged. We're joyless in joyless seasons. We're just sort of barely getting by. We wonder where the passion has gone. And we wonder if it's ever going to be like that again. Are we ever going to know those, those joys that we knew at the first, the first days of our salvation? And then sometimes we experience the same thing after a great spiritual victory. So we, you know, we put to death some besetting sin that had just been after us for so long. Or we accomplish some great work for God by His grace. But then it's not long before we discover some other besetting sin in our heart that discourages us. Or that we fail and perhaps fail in a very significant way, and then the joy we felt before it becomes a, a tattered memory. 
If we were honest this morning, I, I wonder how many of us would have to say that we feel beaten down and discouraged in life. That we're in one of those seasons of sorrow this morning. Well, if you find yourself there, I hope you'll be strengthened. I hope you'll be very encouraged by what we study and read in God's Word this morning because this passage really is a source of great encouragement because it points us to our God, right? Let's just, it's, it's the glory of God's Word is it just lifts our eyes up from our surroundings and our difficulties and it fixes us on our God who is our hope at all times. And our God is the God who blessed us in the past and so He's the one who can bless us again in the present. And our God is the one who will ultimately bless us with eternal joy when this life is over. We'll see these things as we study this chapter this morning. So we're continuing our study of the Psalms of Ascent. These are, these are songs that the people of Israel would have sung three times a year as they traveled up to Jerusalem to participate in the national festivals that occurred in Jerusalem each year. Last week we looked at Psalm 124. It pointed us to God as our help. We were reminded that to be, a significant, uh, be, to be a Christian is a significant thing. It's to be someone who is under the direct, watchful care of God. And so we never have to give in to fear as we go through this life. We'll be tempted to fear, but we never have to give in to fear because our God cares for us, and He watches over us. Well, the psalm for study this morning, Psalm 126, is a psalm of hope for hard seasons. Now, we don't know who wrote this psalm. It's not clear. But as you study the psalm itself, you see you know, pretty clearly, it's very, very likely that this psalm was written when the people of Israel were coming back from the Babylonian captivity. They had been in bondage for 70 years, and then God raised up a king, Cyrus, who, against all odds, set them free and then sent them back home. It was an astounding display of God's power and goodness. And initially, the people of Israel, they were delirious with joy. They were amazed at what had happened. But then when they came back to the promised land, when they came back to their homeland, they realized that actually this is quite difficult. Uh, they faced opposition. They faced kind of the spiritual apathy of their own hearts. They faced the, the difficulty of coming into a region that had been destroyed by war. And so the season of joy gave way to a season of difficulty, even of sorrow. And Psalm 126 is written in this difficult context. But then as you read through it, you'll just notice that it's, it's not despairing. It's a psalm that is hope-filled because it's a psalm that points us towards our God. We've, as we study the psalm this morning, we're going to look at three truths that the psalm contains. Three truths should be the three points of our sermon this morning. Three truths from Psalm 126. Believers should remember God's past blessing. And we'll see that as we look at verses 1 to 3. And then when struggling, Christians should pray for fresh blessing. We'll see that when we look at verse 4. And then believers can be confident of God's future blessing. And we'll see that as we look at verses 5 and 6. Let's look at that first truth together this morning. Believers should remember God's past blessing. Look at verses 1 to 3. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. So let me ask you, have you ever been deliriously happy? Fifteen years ago, this past Thursday, I married my bride, Missy. And that was a really joyful, wonderful day. And also remember a time in our lives, it was really kind of a difficult season. Uh, I was in seminary in North Carolina. 
This was in the middle of the recession. I could not find work for all the whole year. I went from job to job trying to find uh, work that would enable me to provide for my family, and there was just nothing there. And we watched our, our savings go down like this, and we watched our bills creeping up like that. And we thought, well, what are we going to do? It felt like the flood waters were rising, felt like we were just going to be crushed. And at just the right time, the Lord came in, and a church in Kentucky hired me as their associate pastor. And they didn't just do that. They went on to pay for my seminary education. And I felt like I had been set free from this amazing burden of, of not being able to care for my family. I don't know if you've experienced something like that in your life, just kind of the joy, just kind of the amazement that God would be so kind to provide just at the right time. Well, if you have, then you felt just a little bit of what the people of Israel felt when they heard the news that, that for the first time they would be free. Again, consider now, 70 years had gone by, and they had endured all kinds of difficulty. They'd suffered under the yoke of the Babylonians. They were forced to live in a foreign land. They were forced to learn a new language. They were forced to take new names. Kind of their culture was being destroyed, and they were being assimilated into this, this new culture, this new place. And it seemed like there was absolutely no chance that anything would change but God who is king of all, raises up another king, Cyrus, of Medo-Persia, and Cyrus sends the people home. He sets them free. Now, what kind of emotions would they have felt? Well, you can see that in our, in our chapter here. Look at verses 1 and 2. It, it says they felt like they were in a dream, right? It's like they were dreaming. The news seemed too good to be true. And then notice that their hearts were filled with laughter and joy. And then notice what impact this had on the Gentile nations that surrounded when they heard about what God had done for the people of Israel. In the second part of verse 2, it says, the nations then said, the Lord has done great things for them. So like the magicians in Pharaoh's court who could not reproduce the plague of the frogs that Moses had performed, but they said, this is the finger of God. So all those Gentile nations surrounding, when they heard about what God had done for Israel, they saw the finger of God in it, and God got glory because he had rescued his people from their bondage. And then in verse 3, we see this summary statement. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Now, my version of the Bible, the English Standard Version, and many translations say we are glad there, the second part of verse 3. But the word, it can also be translated, we were glad. Now, if you're using the Holman Christian Standard Bible, they translate it that way, and that's really what's going on. What the psalmist is doing in verses 1 to 3 is he's remembering back on the goodness of God. He's remembering what God had done for the people. He's remembering the joy that they had felt in their hearts when God delivered them, rescued them so powerfully, so mightily. See, they were glad. Now, what should we take away from these verses? How should we apply God's word to our hearts? Well, just like the people of Israel are doing here, so we should remember God's past blessings in our lives. That's what the psalmist is leading the people to do. They were calling into mind the powerful deliverance of God from their Babylonian captivity bringing them back into their homeland. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ this morning, you have also been set free from captivity. That's the picture that the Bible paints of sin. We weren't captive to some other you know, power, some other nation, but we were held in bondage to our sin, and it was a serious captivity. We couldn't stop sinning. We lived for it, and we thought it was freedom, but we were just piling up more and more and more condemnation before God. And listen to the way the Bible describes this spiritual captivity in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And you were dead 
That's a strong, that's a strong word. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But then what happened? God set us free. He opened our eyes. He helped us see Jesus for who Jesus is as a glorious Savior who's willing to save all who come to him. And he showed us who we were. And that was painful, but so necessary that we would see our sinfulness and our lack of ability to be good enough for God and, and the tendency of our heart to run away from the true God to worship other gods. And in that moment, he set us free from our captivity to sin and he made us new. More than that, he brought us into a new family. He, he took rebels and he made them sons and daughters. It's this glorious gospel of blessing. And if you're a Christian this morning, that's your testimony, that you've been rescued from that captivity to sin that characterized you before Christ. And of course, the Lord has blessed us in other ways. He's given us brothers and sisters. I don't know about you, but every week that we're able to gather together as a church is such a blessing to me to see your faces in here, to see faces out there, to pray for those who are not able to yet be with us, but to remember them. What a joy to have a spiritual family. What a blessing to have brothers and sisters who share the same Holy Spirit. And God has taught us by the Holy Spirit. Year by year as we've walked with Him, as, we've, as we have day by day read in His Word, He's been so faithful to teach us who He is and what we should be like and to encourage us and to strengthen us and to convict us as we have walked with him in this life. And he's guided us when we didn't know which way to go. Perhaps you were there this week, a decision, you're not sure what to do, you pray, you ask God for wisdom, and he guides you in the right way. Why? Because he's kind and he blesses us. And he's never left us for a moment. We have, may have felt emotionally as if God had left us, but it's not true. Again, our God is a, a faithful father who watches over us every moment of our lives. And he's provided for our physical needs as well. Just just think about how abundantly God has provided food and shelter and clothing. We have so much to be grateful for because our God has blessed us so richly. And so we should, we should remember it. It's right. When Jason's up here and he says, the Lord has done great things for us, that resonates with our hearts because we can list the things that he's done for us and we can be thankful. And that's what we need to remember. Remembering is the first step, but there's a further step. And that further step is praising God for his blessings in our lives. Those remembrances should lead us to praise him and to thank him. And I, I thought about my own life this week. I thought about my own prayer life. And I, I'm pretty faithful to praise God for who he is. And I'm, I'm pretty faithful to pray for my needs and for the needs of others. But I was amazed at how little time I actually spend thanking God for his blessings just kind of listing out the good things that God has done. I spend so little time doing that. It's a way I want to grow, so pray for me in that. Pray that I would grow in that way and then join me in that way as well. God's people have always praised God for his goodness and for his blessing. Psalm 30, verses 1 to 2, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That should, be, that should be the tone of our lives. That should be the expression of our heart because God has done great things for us. Friend, if you're here this morning listening to the sermon, let me ask you, has God done great things for you? 
Uh, do you understand what we're talking about when we say that we used to be captive to our sin, but God has set us free? We're, we're talking about the very heart of Christianity. We're talking about the very heart of our faith. You see, the, one of the things that, that offends other people about Christianity and about the Bible and the truth of the Bible is that it does not sugarcoat who we are. It speaks to us very directly about who we are by nature, who we were uh, born as, our character from our very earliest moments. The Bible teaches that we were created by a good and holy God who loves us. He made us to walk in relationship with Him, to obey Him and to serve Him and to love Him. But, but we followed our first parents, Adam and Eve, who rejected His good law in the garden. And instead of living for Him, we decided it would be better for us to live for ourselves. And so instead of walking in, in union with God, love to Him and obedience to Him, we have all gone our own ways. Instead of serving Him, we've served ourselves. Instead of loving others, we have used other people and we have harmed other people. And every one of us sitting here this morning knows that we have done things that deep down in our hearts we know were wrong and they were wrong at a very deep level. And that sin, that rebellion against God is what sin is. And here's the thing, sin is serious. Uh, the Bible, it speaks so clearly about this, that sin, that rebellion against God is what separates us from Him and brings us under His wrath. And the Bible is so clear that there's nothing we can do to make up for our sins. There's no way that we can be good enough for God. We need a Savior. We need someone who's perfect. We need someone who sets captives free. And that's the good news of the Bible. Yeah, the good news that we have to give you this morning is that our God is a Savior. He rescues those who are held and captive to sin. That's what he did through Jesus. God the Father sent his Son into the world. The eternal Son of God became a man. Jesus Christ, Jesus lived a perfect life always obeyed the will of his father, always loved others. He would want to be loved. He always served and gave and blessed and taught. He had compassion, had such rich compassion. And then when the time was right, this Jesus, who's king of all, he lays down his life as a servant on the cross for sinners. On the cross, Jesus bore himself the wrath of God, took upon himself the wrath of God against the sins of all who will turn from their sins and trust in him. He died but then he rose from the dead. And that's the good news that we have. We have a living Savior who sets captives free. And if you will turn from your sin this morning, and if you will not, if you will not try to be good enough for God, or if you will turn away from trying to live for yourself or your own ambition, but instead acknowledge your sin against God and cry out for mercy and say, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, here's the thing. Jesus will be your Savior. Turn from your sins this morning and put your hope in Jesus and what he did. That is the way to be set free from sin. That is the way to to be clothed with Christ's righteousness. It means that God will look at you as if you live Jesus' perfect life so that when it's your time to come to die, you won't have to be afraid about whether or not you're good enough. You'll know that you in and of yourself are not good enough, and you'll know that Jesus is fully sufficient, and you'll know that he covers you, and you'll know that all of your sins have been paid for. That's the gospel. That's this good news that we offer you this morning. And if you have not trusted in this Savior, we would urge you to trust in him now. Put your hope in him now. He rescues those who are captive to sin. If you want to talk about that, we'd love to talk to you after the service this morning. You will be able to say with us, the Lord has done great things for us. That's what we see. right? That's what we see in verses 1 to 3. Here are the people of God remembering the past blessings of God. We also should remember God's past blessings. There's a second truth. When struggling, Christians should pray for fresh blessings. So look at verse 4. 
Look what the psalmist says there. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. As we said, when Cyrus, this great king of Medo-Persia, when he released the people of Israel to go back to their homeland, they were overjoyed. But then, then that season of joy was quickly overshadowed by difficulty. You see, Jerusalem had been decimated. There was nothing left. They come back to rubble. And the people who were in authority in that area, well, they were actually hostile towards the people of God. And so when they, when they tried to rebuild the temple or when they tried to rebuild the walls on both occasions, they were opposed by those in authority. And when the foundation of the new temple was laid, the, the older men who had seen the glory of Solomon's temple, they wept because of how inferior the new temple was in comparison. And then in Haggai, we read how the people of God They struggled with spiritual apathy towards God. James Montgomery Boyce put it this way. He said, The first days of the exile's return were certainly wonderful, but they had been succeeded by many days of dark discouragement and hard work. And so it's no wonder that the psalmist prays the way he prays and leads the people of Israel to pray the way they pray in verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. In other words, the psalmist is leading the people of God to cry out to God and say, bless us again. Refresh us, strengthen us, give us grace once again. And notice how they ask the Lord to bless them, like streams in the Negev. What's the Negev? Well, it was a desert region, kind of in the south of Israel. So it's often dry. There's no life there. There's no vegetation there. But, but during the rainy season, sometimes the rain would come, and there would be these really strong streams of water that would flow from that rain and they would produce this fresh vegetation. They would turn that dry and barren land into a beautiful garden, green, lush. And that's the picture. That's the picture of what the people of God are asking God to do. They were not asking for just a little blessing. They were asking for God to suddenly and powerfully bless them, to restore them, to strengthen them, to give them joy once again. I wonder, friends, sitting here this morning, if you need God to give you joy in him once again. Well, this is what you can pray. You can pray verse 4. So how should we apply this? Well, when struggling, Christians should ask the Lord for fresh blessing. Again, that's what we see in this verse. Here's the psalmist leading the people of God to cry out to God once again for this restoration, for this spiritual strength, for joy. And that's what we should do as well. When we're struggling under the weight of painful trials or uh, emotional depression or a season of dark temptation, we should do the same thing. We should go to God, and we should ask God to restore us again, to strengthen us, to bless us, to help us to live for him. Now, let me just give you a pastoral word here, because as I, as I wrote that, I thought, you know, if I was sitting there listening to that application, I would think something along the lines of, well, that makes sense, right? If we're struggling, of course we need to go to God. It seems so intuitive, but here's the thing. Over the course of, of my time in ministry, I have seen how frequently the people of God fail to do this. They fail to go to God in hard seasons. Instead, they're weighed down by trials and spiritual struggles, and so they just sort of give up. They stop fighting. They stop running the race with endurance, and they just kind of spiritually sit down, and they stop running. Well, that's what I love about verse 4, because verse 4 shows us that that's not what we should do. Instead, he shows us that we are to fight We're to actively fight when we're struggling spiritually. That's the time when we need to pray. That's the time when we need to go to God and ask him for fresh blessing. 
So here's the thing. The Bible never tells us that we have to gut it out on our own. The Bible never tells us to just kind of gather our strength and just kind of pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And the Bible never tells us that it's okay to sit down spiritually and give up. What does the Bible do? Over and over and over, the Bible points us towards God, who is the help of his people, points us towards God, who is able to restore his people to joy and strength and fruitfulness. Listen to Isaiah. Listen to Isaiah chapter 40. You, you know this, verse 28 to 31. But listen to how it speaks to this temptation. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So brother or sister, perhaps you're struggling this morning. What should you do? Go to this God. Look to this God. See his fullness and understand that it is able to fill up your lack and pray and ask for refreshing. And if he doesn't answer, ask again. If he doesn't seem to hear you, ask again. And take the next step of faith and obedience, trusting that it's him who's strengthening you to do it. And know that when the time is right, when the time is right, he will give you what you need. He will strengthen you to follow him. When we are struggling, we should cry out to this God and ask him to restore our fortunes. There's another application that I want us to see from this, though. Think about what the psalmist is doing. Believers should not be satisfied with past blessing. Do you notice how bold this is? How bold is this of the psalmist, right? It it shows us that it is good and right for us to go to God and ask for more blessing from God. So God had done wonderful things for the people of Israel. They can recount the way he had delivered them. They could think back on that, but do you notice they don't stay there? Do you notice they actually glorify God by going to him again and asking for more? Give us more of yourself. Give us more of your strength. Restore us again. Help us to serve you better. These these are good prayers for us to pray because here's the thing. One of our problems is that we are far too easily satisfied. We think back on past victories. We think back on past mercies, and we're kind of happy and and so we don't go to God for more. Yeah, maybe it's because we're too comfortable, right? We live in a very comfortable culture still, even in the midst of COVID-19. We still live in this amazingly comfortable, affluent place. It's very easy for us to become, become deadened to the race that we're supposed to be running with endurance. Yeah, and so we become satisfied with a little holiness and a little evangelistic fruit and a little prayer. It shouldn't be that way. Instead, we should come to our God again and again and again. We should seek him for grace over and over, asking him to bless us. I'm not talking about material prosperity, more money, more cars, more houses. I am talking about more strength for the battle. I am talking about more zeal for King Jesus. I am talking about more boldness to share your faith with those who don't know him. I am talking about more holiness, more faithfulness, more prayer, God's blessings are given to those who ask. What does it say in James chapter 4? You do not have because you do not ask. So let's be a people who ask. Let's go to God and ask him to do greater and greater things in us and through us 
for his glory. And here's the encouragement. He will. He will. That's what we see. This third truth now. Believers can be confident of God's future blessing. Look at verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. It's a, it's a word of encouragement, right? The psalmist, he ends this psalm with a word of encouragement. He, he knew that it was hard for the people of Israel. He knew that in this moment, they were in this season of sorrow and suffering and difficulty. He knew that they had enemies that had to be resisted, and there were cities that had to be rebuilt. There was a wall that had to be erected. They needed to fight against their own spiritual apathy. They needed God's grace, and so the psalmist gives them this proverb, almost a prophecy, this truth statement that the God who had blessed them in the past will be faithful to bless them in the future. So there would be tears. There would be hard work. But do you notice that there would also be shouts of joy? Do you notice that there would also be an abundant harvest? That the day was coming when the people of God would bring sheaves, the, the fruit of their labors, to a glorious, happy city? That's what you see. Two things we should notice from this. Our work for the Lord will produce a joyful harvest. This is such an important point because... The Christian life is hard, and it does beat us down. Satan does beat us down. Our flesh does drag us down. That's why the New Testament calls it a marathon, not a sprint. That's why the New Testament calls it a spiritual battle, not a game. It's difficult. We face life in a fallen world. We face the continual spiritual opposition of the world and the flesh and the devil, and we face the reality of our own weakness, that in and of ourselves we're weak. And over time, we can become discouraged and we can be tempted to just give up or at least to slow down, at least to stop running as hard. But then verse 5 and 6, they help us. They remind us that our God is too good to allow our efforts for him to be in vain. Our God is too good to allow our efforts for him to be in vain. So we might have to sow in tears, but we can also sow in hope because God will bless our efforts because it's not in vain. James Boyce again said, no words spoken on behalf of the gospel, no kindness practiced out of love for Christ, no righteous stand taken because of God's righteousness will ever go unnoticed or unrewarded. So brothers and sisters, do not lose heart. And do not give up. Don't stop running. The harvest day is coming. We will rejoice in the Lord in that day. That's why we read 1 Corinthians 15 at the beginning of the service this morning. Listen to verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He's seen it all. Every kind word, every tear, he's seen it all. And he is so good that he rewards us for the grace and the strength that he gives us to serve him. That's what we see, so don't give up. And then, and then notice that there is sorrow in the Christian life, but notice that it always gives way to joy. Now, that's very much related to what we just said, but I want us just to kind of take it a bit further and think about what that means 
So the Christian life is a mixture of joy and sorrow. But do you notice where it ends? It comes to an end. The Christian life does not go on forever and ever and ever in this world. It ends, and then what? Joy. Eternal, glorious, perfect joy forever and ever and ever. Joy is coming. Eternal joy is coming. One day your eyes will see the king in his beauty in a land that is far off. One day you're going to leave behind this world of tears and suffering and vanity and you're going to enter into a world of light and life and you'll be there forever. It's coming. It's coming. So don't give up. Don't give up. Every single day, we're a step closer. Do you realize that? You are a step closer to heaven than you were yesterday. It's coming. Looking at this passage this morning, we've seen these three truths. Believers should remember God's past blessing. When struggling, Christians should pray for fresh blessing, and believers can be confident of God's future blessing. We have seasons of great difficulty and sorrow, but the God who blessed us in the past can bless us in the present. We should ask him to. And this same God is the God who will bless us forever with joy in his presence. And he's worthy of praise. Let's praise him this week as we follow him and let's pray. Our God, as we look at this psalm, we just acknowledge that there are times when we have let the difficulties of this life cast us down and, Lord, we've given up in a way that we shouldn't. And Father, there have been tears, and there have been a lot of tears. And so we've stopped running. And Lord, we confess that for what it is, is a lack of faith. We also acknowledge it for what it is, life in a fallen world. And we thank you that we are able, because of the gospel, to forget what is behind, and today to take the next step towards heaven. And we thank you that you who blessed us in the past will be faithful to bless us in the future. And we thank you that one day we will see you face to face. Oh God, I pray for those who are sitting here this morning who do not know you, who have no clue what we're talking about. God, I pray that you'd wake them and help them see their desperate need for Christ. And God, I pray for those that are struggling this morning and despairing on the inside. I pray that you'd strengthen them by your spirit and help them to stand and glorify you by taking the next step towards heaven. God, do these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.